This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by the 2017 ERLC National Conference, August 24th through 26th in Nashville, Tennessee. This year's theme is Christ-Centered Parenting in a Complex World. You go to ERLC.com slash events for more information. What would it be like to grow up the daughter of Max Licato? What would it be like to wrestle with your faith in a place where there's not a lot of other Christians? Well, that's the subject of a new memoir by my guest today, Andrea Lucado. Andrea is the daughter of Max Licato, uh, but more than that, she's a writer, a speaker, and a thoughtful voice on what it is to grow up in the church. What's interesting about Andrea is that this is not a memoir that's sort of angst-ridden about growing up in the church and why she hates it. In fact, this is a memoir of wrestling with God, of wrestling with her doubts, but ultimately coming out with joy and a love for Christ that is refreshing for people of her generation. So I encourage you to pull up a chair and listen to this conversation with my good friend, Andrea Licato. Andrea Lucado, thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I have your new book in my hands, English Lessons, Yay. The Crooked Path of Growing Toward Faith. It's a really, really neat book talking about your your faith journey and, and things like that, which I always find really fascinating, particularly for someone like yourself who grew up the daughter of a you know, well-known author and pastor, Max Licato, and kind of what that's like. So I guess the first question that you know you always ask an author is, you know, what was kind of stirring in your heart that led you to say, you know, I need to write this down. I think this could be a book idea. This could be a, a something I want to do. Yeah. So the way this book came about, I feel like is a little bit backwards because typically you do have an idea and, and you sit down and, and write it. And I had an idea, which was to sort of write, I wasn't sure if it would be a book, but I wanted to write down my thoughts about kind of women's issues and Christianity in the church. And instead I, I wrote, I sat down and I wrote a story about a park in Oxford and two friends that I was talking to while I was living there in, during grad school. And I kept writing about Oxford after that. So it was kind of this strange, I thought I was sitting down to write one book and I ended up writing something completely different. And I, I realized I needed to explore kind of that year of my life and the, the doubts that I went through and the stronger faith that, that came out of it. So it's a little bit backwards. Well, I imagine, you know, being in Oxford is such a is such a kind of inspirational place that you couldn't help but have fresh ideas and and have great inspiration, huh? Yes, I say in the book, Oxford is the place that makes you want to write books about Oxford <laughs> yeah. because it is just so. I don't know that many writers have gone there and not written their memoir that has that includes Oxford in some way. So yes, everywhere you look, it's a very literary place too. So it encourages the writer to sit and think and. A lot of thinking is happening in such an academic city like that, for sure. Yeah. One of the things I really enjoy about not just your book, your story and your writing and just knowing you a little bit is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of books written by evangelicals who've grown up in the church that are very, um, people have a lot of angst and a lot of, you know, maybe even anger about some of the things that they experienced growing up in the church, you know, abuses or just are kind of grown to like not like church or not like uh, being a Christian. And and you really have, yours is different. I mean, you really, you, there's a line in here that I'll see if I can find it, but you really talk about how much you enjoy 
you know, church is like in your bones. I think you, you said something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, it's yeah. really refreshing. Yeah. It's, and I have my issues with the church too. And I wrestle with cynicism and things that I'm not necessarily ready to write about. Sometimes I wonder if people need to give themselves more time and space before they sit down and write their angsty mm-hmm. <laughs> pieces about the church. Um, Cause I feel like I'm wrestling with things right now that I'm not ready to publish or put out there, mm-hmm. but I do I have really fond memories of the church growing up. I, um, I I feel like I can attribute a lot of that to my dad. He was the pastor, but he was also very present in our lives. And I know that that's not always the case for pastor's kids. And my dad decided when we were young that he wasn't going to travel for work anymore. And he was pretty much home throughout my elementary school through adolescence. And so I didn't have that negative uh, feeling towards my dad to associate with the church. So I think that helped a lot. Um, and I also just knew wonderful people. We did a book release party in San Antonio last weekend, and most of the room what was full of people I grew up at Oak Hill Church with there just to support and encourage. And it was really cool to look out and see, you know, I wrote this book a lot, largely because of you guys who are in mm. this room. So I just had a good experience relationally, I think, with people I knew in the church, which is, which I know is not always uh, the case, sadly, for a lot of people. You know, isn't it interesting, too? I, I feel very similarly. Like, I, I didn't grow up with a famous father who was a pastor, but growing up in the church, you know, I've been, I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by church people. Uh, but, you know, it's just this point in my life, you know, that God has given me kind of a love for for the church and, and some of the things that you learn growing up, the hymns and the music and the, you know, uh, you, you say at one point in this book that Jesus is in me and I can't do anything about that. Uh, and I I sort of feel that same way. I think, uh, -hmm. it was really refreshing to hear you say that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I do think that, I mean, at the end of the day, church is where we learned about Jesus for the first time. And Mm -hmm. so if, if the politics of the church were, were bad or if there was kind of a sour attitude, we at least got that. And I think learning about Jesus is wherever you learned that is a place to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you too, you know, your dad is a, is, is a pastor, but he's really, I think in many ways known as a writer and a, and a really good yeah. writer. I remember interviewing him one time and he said like, he, you know, how many times he rewrites his stuff, how obsessed he is with, you know, getting it right. Did you get your love of writing from your dad? Uh, yes, I did, and probably have that that equal like OCD ness when it comes to getting the words right and rereading and rewriting. Um, I when I was little, when I was five, I think I started telling people I want to be an author when I grow up. <laughs> I didn't really know what that meant, <laughs> but I was writing stories, and I've always written, and so it must be in the genes. I'm assuming because yeah. it's not like my dad said, all right, everybody sit down. We're going to write tonight. <laughs> it was a choice. So yeah. I guess I just inherited it somehow. Well, one of the things you really address, and I think it's, I think it's something that um, people don't understand, but growing up in the church, being a, there, there's a kind of a unique set of struggles. I think that second generation Christians wrestle with that. Maybe people who are new to the faith uh, that perhaps became Christians late in life don't, don't wrestle with was that one of the things you want to talk about in this book and kind of give space for, for some of those questions that people have who grew up in the church? Yeah, definitely. And I, I remember doing kind of a written interview with you for one of your books, For Real, 
that came out a few years ago. And I yeah. feel like maybe we talked about some of these things in that. Um, but, and I loved that you were kind of giving space for people like me to talk about our church experience because it is so important. I feel like for me, especially in Oxford, well, and growing up as I, you know, had doubts, kind of always had doubts and questions. I felt like maybe it wasn't allowed because I had grown up in the church. Like that meant that my faith was not as strong as it should be. So I think that there are expectations. When you grow up in the church, you see people who have a really strong faith. They're probably 65 and have, you know, we have known nothing about their growing up years. And Mm -hmm. so that's why we think we're supposed to be like them. Um, But I did want to, I really wanted to give people permission to ask questions, no matter how scary they were. Um, or how maybe heretical they would sound. I just wanted, I hope that people will feel like they can come alongside this journey and ask their own questions and know that God's not afraid of those questions. Yeah, and and it seemed like that was provoked when you were kind of out of the environment, church environment, and in... Uh, and you went to Oxford where you were, those kind of questions seemed to be provoked just by the the friends and the classmates that you had, right? Yeah, it was, I don't know why I was 22 before I was finally out of the Christian bubble. I I guess because I went to a Christian school and a Christian college and grew up in church. And so, yeah, it was the first time that, oh, my professors aren't Christians. There were only about 20 people on my course. And as far as I knew, I was the only Christian there. Some of them had religious beliefs, but um, not Christianity. And so it was the first time I sort of was forced to look at the world through their eyes and empathize with them and kind of see how do they deal with hard times and how do they go through struggles without God? And they were able to do it. And that really rattled me. I was like, they don't need God in the way that I do. Does this mean he's not real? Does this mean my faith is something for oh, the weaker species? So that was um, very rattling for me. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I think Fuller University did a survey that their Center for Youth and Culture or something a while back that said Christian kids who are allowed to ask questions in the home, you know, that's kind of a safe place for them to ask questions, end up staying in the faith at a higher percentage than kids who are in different environments. And I really think there's some truth to that, isn't there? Like if there's, if there's a safe place to ask questions, right? Yeah, that's so interesting. I definitely believe that because I felt like I, I was maybe not asking questions outside of my home very much, like within the church, but with my parents, I always felt like I could come to them with questions. And that was huge for me. And my sisters too, my older sister, I I remember talking to her about these things. And so And then being overseas in another country, it was sort of like I was really safe to dig deeper and and delve into some of these things. Um, So I totally believe that because if you're if you're not asking those questions, you're not you're not going to, as they say, own your faith. It's not going to be yours because you haven't you haven't made it yours. And so why would you stay with it? That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And and that's one thing I think that uh, it seems like it's hard sometimes for parents to understand that. Like I have kids of my own now, and there's this kind of expectation that there's this an automaticness, like, you know, you put a child in at, you know, they're born into the church and they just kind of at 18 come out like these little toy soldiers that are just like perfectly formed and Christian. And, you know, we sometimes are surprised when 
kids who grow up in the church have questions, have periods of doubt. But really, it seems like what you're saying is every, you know, every generation has to have a fresh encounter with God, right? Right. Yeah, I think so. And and giving teens permission to explore that or college students permission to explore that would definitely make them want to stay in the church rather than push it away or, or think these people don't understand me, they're afraid of me, they're afraid of my doubts and questions. And so I think, but I'm sure as a parent, and I don't know what that's like, but that's probably, you don't, you don't want your kid to just fall off the edge. And so I don't know what that balance is, you know, to sort of not try to rescue them from their questions, but let them wrestle with them. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I imagine that's difficult. Well, it seems like just even reading your story and thinking about what we're doing with our kids and my own story, like we want to give kids a, a good foundation so that they have something you know, if they if they do run away, there's something to run back to. Like there's something there, uh, but also space to kind of make it their own. But that's 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 an interesting process, I think, for every every Christian kid, every every person that grows up kind of in in different environments. Um, I, I think it's interesting too, though, that when you went to um, Oxford, that really kind of provoked you to think differently, to really think about your faith and look at it from a different perspective. You know, there's a kind of a tendency for us to you know, freak out, like our kids are going to go away to college and they're going to lose their faith and there's movies and there's books and there's everyone dire warnings about it. Um, but it actually seems like those seasons can be uh, strengthening times, right? Yeah, I think so. And I've, I've had this conversation about, you know, the millennials, the statistics for millennials leaving the church is really high, I think. I don't know what the official that is percentage-wise. But um, I have wondered, I wonder if millennials just right now are are wrestling with things on their own and they're not at church, but they are asking questions. And if, you know, 10 years down the road, millennials are some of the strongest believers that we have inside the church. And it's unhealthy to not be a part of the church. Like that, that gets dangerous. That can be dangerous territory, but it's also unhealthy to only stay in a church because it's what you do and it's what you've been told to do. I mean, you're not going to be a member of the body in a healthy way. So, um, so I just think it's, we don't have to freak out that people are sort of exploring this on their own. And fortunately they do have that good foundation to fall back on or that foundation that's kind of underlying. I felt like that was sort of underlying when I said like Jesus is in me and I don't know how to get him out. I mean, I think that started at a really young age and, and also it was just God's pursuit of me, which I didn't deserve and is grace. And it's just an amazing gift. So. It's interesting to me too, and I've had things like this where actually a, a friend who, you know, is agnostic or is actually uh, coming at at the faith from a different perspective actually helps you strengthen your faith. It was interesting to read how those those couple friendships really, really actually strengthen your faith. Why do you think that is? Yeah, yeah. I you know at first they didn't. At first, I being friends with uh, my friend Ben, who was an atheist, um, that was really I was so confused because he was so kind and wanted to know all about what I was doing at church. And then I found out, oh, he doesn't even believe in any of this. Like he kind of seemed Christian to me. And so, but I also sort of got to see this, um, not necessarily in him, but just there was sort of a hopelessness around. There was kind of a darkness in Oxford. And Ben has actually recently explained to me that sort of the height of the atheist voices and books that were coming out was probably that year of 
2008 to 2010. And the epicenter of all of that was Oxford because Richard Dawkins lived there and several other, I'm sure, um, well-known atheists were in the area. And I, it's so funny to think about that because I definitely sensed that. And so while I was able to see their side of things, I wasn't necessarily wanting that because I was also sensing the kind of dark darkness and the hopelessness. And it just kind of made my faith look even brighter in comparison, I think. So that could have been what it was. It could have been what was, I was noticing that. And it was actually strengthening my faith to be spending time with someone who who didn't have faith. Yeah, that I I found that experience too. I think sometimes we're afraid of it seems like we're afraid of especially if you've grown up in a kind of a Christian bubble like we have, that we're sort of afraid to uh have friends outside the faith or to nurture deep friendships. But it mm-hmm. but it seems like, you know, the mission of God for us in the world, if we're gonna spread the good news, is actually to be doing that. And not just with an agenda of conversion, but also just to, um, you know, to befriend people and, and learn. It actually strengthens our faith. Why, why do you think we're so afraid to make friendships with people who uh, may not believe? Uh, we probably think they will lead us astray or they will affect us in in some way. I know it is, personally, for me, it can be hard because as my mom always says, which I'm pretty sure she's quoting someone else when she says this, but Christ brings depth to relationships. And so you can only be so good a friend with someone who's not a Christian, right? Because they're just not going to understand really the fundamental part of who you are. And so I think for me, a, a lot of it's just the relational part. I'm like, I know we can only get to a certain level. And that's hard for me because I I like, I enjoy deep relationships as most people do. So, but then there is also that element of, I am afraid of how you will affect my faith and I need to be surrounded by only positive Christian things to keep it strong when, you know, Jesus didn't seem to act that way in his ministry. He seemed to to hang out with all sorts of people that you think would be a bad influence on you. Um, So it's interesting to to see, I don't know, I guess that's where we got that idea is it's going to negatively affect our own belief system. Well, if you're a parent like me, you know that your kids are asking pretty difficult questions, questions about race, questions about gender, questions about sexuality. As parents, how do we answer those questions? Well, the ERLC is hosting a conference this August on Christ-centered parenting in a complex world. We're going to have a variety of voices and experts to speak, Russell Moore, Sally Lloyd-Jones, Jim Daly, Jen Wilkin, Crawford Luritz, Phil Vischer. Nancy Guthrie, Danny Aiken, Lauren Chandler, Eric Mason, and many more. So we invite you to come join us in Nashville on August 24th to 26th. And if you use a coupon code, WAYHOME, you'll get a 20% discount. So go to ERLC.com events and get signed up for the 2017 ERLC National Conference, Christ-Centered Parenting in a Complex World. I wonder if you could just speak to what um, 
young people in this generation are thinking about uh, when they're thinking about evangelicalism and think about Christianity. I mean, we've seen this sort of sky is falling. You know, Christians are leaving the faith. What are we going to do? Hand wringing, which I I I'm, I tend not to be an alarmist, so I. Some of that yeah. stuff I take with a grain of salt, but but it is true that you know the shape of Christianity is changing. Uh, global Christianity is, is changing. And what are you saying uh, about kind of the way younger generations are engaging the faith? I mean, I think that the younger generation is definitely seeking authenticity, and they can sort of sniff out anything that's fake or anything that's a show pretty quickly, and they don't want it, um, which is good because faith is supposed to be genuine and it's supposed to be a relationship with Jesus. And I think if they would really understand who Jesus is, they would be very drawn to that. And the Mm -hmm. only way to do that, and I'm just kind of thinking of this right now, but is reading through the gospels. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not in the word, which this is actually something I was convicted of last weekend at church, listening to my dad preach about abiding in Christ. But um, if you're not in the word, you are, you're going to listen to what the cynical voices are telling you and you're not going to want what's in there. And I know when I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John for the first time on my own, when I was 14, it changed my life. I was a different person and my parents saw that probably more than I did at the time. But so I would say actually know who Jesus is. And you can only know that by reading what's in the word rather than listening to to the voices out there. And also having a mentor or having someone who's even just a few years older than you, who's kind of gone before in the faith and is not in the same place as you, like is not thinking about leaving the church or unsure Mm -hmm. about it, but has kind of maybe been there before. I think that's huge too, because that gives you perspective. Otherwise, you're just hanging out with people like you and things become an echo chamber mm. really quickly. Um, so those would be probably two of the, the main things I would encourage the younger generations to take hold of. Yeah. Are you are you seeing, it, it seems in my experience, and it's limited experience, but that people in my generation or even younger are actually looking for a church experience or worship experience that is a little bit deeper and a little bit more robust than sometimes we find in the kind of wider evangelical world, whether it's, you know, more liturgical or, you know, other traditions that are, you know, have more liturgy. Are you finding that as well? I think so. Like that people are wanting more of that kind of the liturgical style or just a a deeper. Um, I know I am. So I feel like that might mean that other people are too. Um, but yes, I have seen that. And I've seen church plants coming up that are in that style, being planted by guys in their, you know, 30s and 40s. And so I feel like that's probably an indicator of where, of where, what we're wanting and where we're going. And I guess the pendulum is always swinging when it comes to this stuff. And maybe the pendulum swung to um, having church in big stadiums with really lively worship music. And maybe we're like, okay, that was great and seeker-friendly and good for a time. And maybe now we just need to really get down to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of what faith is. And we don't need the show. I mean, this is all speculation, but I feel like I can sense that pendulum swinging back. And I, and I have a theory too, that our generation and younger generations, um, you know, there was a time where being a Christian in America was kind of, you know, was kind of considered, you know, acceptable, kind of almost like what you should do, uh, in your communities, uh, and we're now to really say I'm following Christ is almost to be sort of countercultural. So this this generation seems to know that 
if I am going to follow Christ, it is going to put me at odds with the culture, and I'm okay with that. I'm I'm not under any illusion that, you know, I'm going to be patted on the back for for being a Christian. Uh, so I wonder just if if kind of a more serious, uh, robust uh, faith is something that is is more attractive to uh, to those younger generations for that reason that there's you know an anchor to hold on to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And what you described is kind of how how Christians in England were. I mean, it wasn't it was post Christian Europe, and it was not cool to be a Christian, and it wasn't necessarily the socially acceptable thing to do that everyone did. And so, what you found in churches were very fervent believers mm-hmm. and people who truly were following Christ. And so, I w- I would definitely prefer that than a bunch of really big churches full of people who don't actually believe or don't yeah. really are just going through emotions. Yeah, that's that's really good. Before we're done, I want to ask you just uh, if you had a word of advice based on your experience growing up in church. You know, you've talked a lot about your your dad being a public figure and a pastor and you know, just you know, his example to you. And if if you I guess if you could based on your experience give advice to you know, pastors or Christian leaders who are in the public eye, uh, advice for them, for their kids and how to, how to handle, uh, life at home and, and their relationships like that. Yeah. Um, so I feel like my dad did a really good job at, at just, um, putting family first. I think he received advice one time about never sacrificing your family at the altar of ministry. And he yeah. talked about how that really stuck with him when he was probably in his, I don't know, mid to late thirties. And that's when he decided to stop traveling. So he was very present. He was at our, all of our stuff. He was at our games. He was at our choir concerts, you know, recitals. And um, I think that's huge for any kid to just for their dad to be around and present. And it's very tempting to, and my dad's an introvert, so maybe this helps him, but it's tempting to go be at all of the church things and be at every single person's bedside. And you just can't do that when you're a pastor. So that would probably help you with burnout too. But mm. um, also modeling um, this openness about your own brokenness, I think would be good for, for leaders. Cause I know I felt like I needed to really have it all together as a pastor's kid spiritually and my life in general. And that was a lot of pressure. And that was something I really put on myself. It's not like my parents taught me that. But um, but it is good to just have that example of mm. we're not perfect. We're not trying to appear perfect. Um, and I don't know what that looks like necessarily for a pastor to model in front of his kids. But but I think that that's, a, that's an important thing so that they're not growing up with this too many expectations on themselves. Mm, that's really good. Well, Andrea Lucado, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Really appreciate just your work and uh, friendship. And really, you know, I want to encourage people to get English lessons, The Crooked Path of Growing Toward Faith. It's just a really uh, uh, well-written and heartfelt and sometimes uh, very honest and, and raw memoir of, of what it's like to grow up in the church and kind of wrestling with your faith. And so I, I really encourage people to, to get this. It's a really great read. Oh, thank you. I've appreciated this conversation so much. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delft. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.